0: Had I not found the Phoenix, I wouldn't have found AA, and I wouldn't have gotten sober, and I most likely would not be alive on this podcast right now. Meeting these people and like finding this community and thinking how amazing this is, and here we are, two years later, and like I have a dream job where I get to work for the Phoenix and like give back and do what people did for me, and I just like I'm still in shock. Like it's it's crazy to me. The gifts of sobriety just really do keep on giving. The best is yet to come.
1: Stories are powerful, powerful. Welcome to the Rise, Recover, Live podcast brought to you by The Phoenix. This is a space where people impacted by substance use can come to share their story of strength and resilience, get open and honest, and inspire hope and build community through shared experience.
2: We'll be talking to people in our community on their own recovery journey and shine a light on the topic of recovery in all its forms. Maybe you'll hear some of your story in theirs.
0: Let's show the world that together we rise, recover, and live.
1: What's up, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of the Rise Recover Live Podcast. We are your host, Bryce the Third, he, him pronouns.
2: And Liz McKean, she, her pronouns.
1: And this is the third take because the first two <laughs> takes, Liz forgot who she was, so we had to start over, over and over again. Letting okay. you Behind the Curtain.
2: And You literally started us off by saying, you know, we're gonna this is gonna be great because we are who we are, and then I went and forgot who I was. And then so you forgot I, who you were. What the heck,
1: one. Liz? <laughs> <laughs> Besides not knowing who you are, how's your energy?
2: Uh, whoever I am is doing great. Um, energy is, uh, you know, I have energy. Like, I'm not tired, which I feel like I have been the last few times you've asked me that. Um, but I'm not, like, hyper energy, which is, you know, I, I often go to extremes. So I'm, I'm an in-betweener today, which is a really great place to be. So, Yeah.
1: How about you? Extremism. Very relatable, yeah. Um, But to, to me today, my energy is, oh, I'm sunny on the inside and it's sunny outside. So it's True. like it's sunny all around. It's one of them days where it's like I feel really good. I started the day with a nice workout at, at I'm not going to say the gym because this is not a commercial for them, but we all know where Bryce be going if you listen to, the, uh, to these podcast episodes.
2: Not sponsored, but um, open to it.
1: i'm not saying your name one more time until y'all give us a sponsorship (laughs) but yeah no i did a high intensity workout this morning um uh ate a ate a nice breakfast of eggs and toast got some meditation some some morning pages from julia cameron's artist way some some journaling got my morning my morning routine my workday routine together and now i'm here and i am feeling pretty good
2: So glad. Man, that is a that is like an A plus morning. Holy smokes.
1: It is. And it comes off the back of like this, like really intentionally like seeking out tools to be able to show up for ADHD. Mm -hmm. And in that, like I've just found all of these ways to set up process that allows for me to like get these little tiny wins. And then there's the momentum on the back of those wins when yesterday, you know, I got a couple wins yesterday, so today I'm feeling like the guy who won a little bit. You know what I'm saying? So like I'm feeding off of that momentum. So it's it's just been a cool process. Awesome. Oh,
2: yeah.
1: I love it. Yeah. So uh maybe we should get into who we have today here, Liz. Should. Who do we have with us on the podcast?
2: Well, today we have Trev Flick, who we've been talking about having on the pod for a long time. So I'm so excited and excited that we have you on now, too. So we'll get into all that. But Trev uses he and pronouns. He is an endurance athlete, an avid outdoorsman, an alcoholic, a dog dad, constantly on the hunt for candy, and my very favorite bio we've ever received because he said he's attracted to things that can kill me. (laughs) I feel like that is very Mm -hmm. relatable (laughs) and also cool when you find ways to kind of get that you know, scratch that itch in ways that are more positive. So i um, excited to talk about all of that today. So Trev, welcome. How are you?
0: I'm good. Thank you for having me. Um, I, my energy level is very high today. Um, coming off a weekend, I ran the New York City Marathon on Sunday. And wow. um, that was like a pipe dream for me. And um, to have it come to fruition, I'm just still kind of on cloud nine. and Just very happy to be here. What was that experience like? It was it was amazing. The energy in the city on race day is insane. And um, you know, I'm used to I, I run trail races, and so usually you see people at the finish line or at the start line, and that's it. You're by yourself in the desert or the woods. Um, and this time around, it was twenty-six point two miles of just like thousands of people screaming at you and just like getting you hyped um it was incredible i cried quite a bit um but like tears of joy every like five to like ten miles i would realize like where i am and how i got here and just Mm. be so grateful and just like start crying so it was it was amazing
2: so cool Mm, that
0: sounds like a phenomenal experience
2: i cried just watching the instagram videos of people that took like the finish like at the finish line it would just be like a you know compilation of, of different people finishing and hugging and crying and like kissing the ground and like all these things and like I just goosebumps and tears right down my face just mm-hmm, sitting mm-hmm. there like on instagram you know you know a break from my usual dog video feed um and it was yeah that was really cool and I also I was kind of like scouring the internet to see if I could see like you in any of the videos and you know any of the other phoenix folks who were doing it because um you know you never know know there's a lot of people but you
1: never know yeah i was at the uh the detroit free press marathon not too long ago and just to like watch that and witness like the the people who were out there to support the different cultures um uh, it was just the different levels of support like in and the different type of people and like trying to like just telling my head what the, each individual's runner story is. Like, I wonder like what their motivation was. And it's, it's also like one of those barbershop deals where it's like you go to a barbershop so many times you get a haircut. I'm not ready for that haircut yet. <laughs> and I think that leans me into, uh, I know you probably said it in jest or did you? I don't know. I'm just getting to know you, Trev. But you said you're attracted to things that kill you. And so you said 20 plus miles. Uh, that sounds like something that would kill me. <laughs> uh what, like, what is the internal motivation for pursuing, uh, a marathon and and, and the pursuing and completion of a marathon?
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, a little bit of the backstory behind it. When I, um, finished college, I was over 300 pounds and I started running to lose weight. And as the weight fell off, I, I got good at running and started to do marathons. And, um, just fell in love with the, the thrill and the adrenaline that it gives you and moved to Colorado and actually got into the ultra scene and have been running in 50 to 100-mile races. So the 26.2, uh, kind of a walk in the park, to be honest.
2: <laughs>
0: it was not that oh. bad. <laughs> well, Big plus flexor. you're in,
2: in New York. I'm just thinking, like, when I visit, you're in Denver, and when I go to Denver, like, just walking, you know, down the street, just the slightest incline. I'm just like <gasps> like just that it's amazing yeah. the effect of that elevation. So from training there and, you know, running in the mountains to then going to I don't know if New York is at sea level, but certainly comparatively pretty close, was that were you like the, the air is just rich with oxygen <laughs> here. I just can't even imagine.
0: Yeah, I did. A, I did a training run. Uh, I just ran once. Once I got out there, and I was like, "Wow, this is what it feels to not be at five thousand feet. Like this is insane." It, it it definitely helped along the way.
2: Yeah. Oof.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree with Lee. Denver,
1: Colorado, in general, is like fighting for your life when you walk to the <laughs> store. Like. <laughs> That's why our endurance
2: athletes decide to settle there. Like, let's do the hard thing and let's also see if we could do it with as little oxygen as possible. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty wild. Well, yeah, that's super cool that you were – I don't think I realized that you had been a runner before. I I feel like so many people that we've had on the show that have talked about running as part of their recovery, you know, found running in early recovery. But it sounds like maybe – is it something you rediscovered or did it never – not be part of your life? Yeah.
0: You know, um, through my fitness uh, journey, it became a part of my life and I definitely used it in a very unhealthy way prior Mm. to sobriety. Um, It was more so about how I looked and getting my body, you know, to look a certain way. And then through recovery, rediscovered it in a much healthier way. I will say though, I think maybe a little bit of transfer addiction and wanting to run the longer distances after getting sober, uh, definitely has kicked in. But I found a very healthy balance with it. It's a very cathartic thing for me and it keeps my mind in check. Um, and really just allows me to like hit the pavement daily and like clear my mind completely and like it's only me in the road at that point. Mm. Yeah. You're yeah, on this way. We call that harm reduction.
1: <laughs> you know. Uh, I I think also it's I, th- I feel like it's a little natural to like want to challenge yourself too. And we 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 started out the episode saying that you're attracted to things to kill you. So what, what what are some other things? I'm just really attracted to that statement because <laughs> I feel like I feel like I I hard relate to it. Yeah, because. There's those things that like those rushes, like even for me, like I like going to um, concerts with like mosh pits and the best mosh pits that I've been in. It's like, am I going to make it out of this, you, you know, or, or those moments, uh, you know, going to, do, to the adventure park and you high in the trees and, you know, you're on a harness. But if you slip, you still going to fall, you know, but it's that exciting, that edge, that rush in um, some of my more challenging phases, seasons in life. Like, I remember it was one season, I very tough breakup. Like, I went to Cedar Point. I wanted to go on a roller coaster because I just needed to feel like a rush. Like, I'm about to die because I need to, like, it helped me integrate the process that I was going through, you know? So, like, what are some other things that attract you that may have been scary to you at one time or might definitely be scary to us
0: yeah I think um, I mean all the things I'm about to mention are scary I think that's like the point of it like they need to be scary that's what makes them fun I love to jump out of planes Um, (gasps) I took a bunch of friends to Moab for my 32nd birthday and a group of us you know we skydived over Moab and like that was such an incredible experience What else? I love cliff diving. Um, We've got some great places in Colorado to jump off some cliffs into some water, some you know, 60 to 80 footers, such a rush. Probably I would say some of the more scary things that I've done that I, that I shouldn't do again, but I want to climbing or hiking some mountains solo that require like a class three climb. Um, I distinctly remember the first year that I moved to Colorado, I decided I was going to do my first class three climb solo. And I got stuck up there for quite some time and had had a God moment. I was crying quite a bit, thinking I'm never going to make it off this mountain. But I did, and um, I would definitely do it again.
2: <laughs> my hands are sweating. My hand, I think maybe I, in the beginning I was like, oh, yeah, I totally relate. Nope. <laughs> no. But I feel like, you know, actually, it's so funny. I was just having this conversation with my mom earlier about some video she watched of a guy who does climbs. Does he, like wild climbs with nothing but that like you know gym clothes and sneakers in their hands like no nothing to keep them from dying if they fall essentially you know and with some crazy drone recording it for you know the people of YouTube who can just have sweaty hands as they watch instead of actually experiencing it but we were talking about how like that is such a I mean the, you, every single thing we do has, has risk involved, right? I mean, like loving someone, you know, I have, I have a friend and certainly have experienced it myself who's lost um, a, a pet recently. And so we were talking about like the cost of loving an animal is so incredibly high because, because, you know, they don't live as long as we do and we decide that, it, that the joy that they bring us is worth it, you know? And like the, the mm. amount of like life we get the amount that, like it makes our life meaningful is worth That risk and that pain, and then I think it's the same thing for this guy climbing mountains without without anything to catch him. You know, like if that is the the thing that makes his life feel like it's life, you know, like then to the risk of not doing that would be to not have fully lived. And like you know, it's it's everyone's like kind of balance is going to be different. And I think I would imagine there's even seasons within your life where that balance, you know, like shifts of like, where's the joy, where's the risk and what's, what's worthwhile. And yeah, sounds like you really just, you find the thing that you need in the moment to bring that joy into your life.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely like you guys were talking about earlier extremes. I am a a man of extremes. (laughs) I do not like to do like Things half-assed. Like if I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna like I want to go big or go full home. Ass.
2: Yeah,
0: full send on everything. I think like one of my life mottos is full send or no send, and I just like truly live by that. If I'm gonna do something, we're gonna we're gonna do it.
2: Yeah. Do you think that was right. a big part of addiction for you? And like when like drinking oh. when you were drinking, like I mean moderation i don't even know her
0: yeah i i don't Mm -hmm. know her either um that was definitely a big thing um i remember definitely like uh tallying shots like to see how many i could take and like let's see how many we can do this time and like Mm -hmm. always wanting to like go more and you know just like never being able to moderate that I don't think I don't, college definitely did not help that situation because I felt like everyone around me was also trying to do that. But I think uh, living living in the extreme now is I can do things that would have definitely killed me in my addiction while in my addiction, I can do them safer now. And I think that's mm. that's kind of the mindset I look at it, at it now.
1: Mm, I think about like the relationship of risk and humility. I think like it's been a tennis match between those two for me. And even thinking about like, uh, you know, alcoholism, addiction, I got beat up by my act of addiction, alcoholism, that so much so that it beat me to a state of humility. And then it brought me to a point of, Conceding, like you know what, <laughs> like not not this. I I, I throw the tie in on this one because I I can't figure it out. And in that, I was shown a way of life unlike I had ever been able to live. One that gradually uh, increases in quality the longer I live in it. And I would assume, and so I'm gonna pose the question: Have you experienced levels of humility or that relationship between risk and humility? pursuing some of the full sin activities that you have in recovery, such as getting stuck on a mountain and like having those God moments and like being brought to like tears and like, yo, like, you know, has there been any of those moments for you that that
0: brought about a a new sense of humility as well? Absolutely. Yeah. I um actually in the very early on in my sobriety, I um well, step back. Part of the reason I like Realized I had a problem and got sober was because I had signed up for this my very first 50 mile ultra and I had told myself I'm not gonna drink until this ultra is over and that was like six months prior to the race starting and shocking I wasn't able to stop drinking and even drank up till the night before of the race. And so kind of fast forward, but in early sobriety, I had signed up then for my first 100-mile race um, and was training very hard for it. And all of my new friends in recovery knew that I was doing this and, um, you know, checking in on me constantly. And so that it, it came time for the race. And I flew down to the Florida Keys um, to run this race from Key Largo to Key West. And I brought uh, two of my good friends with me to crew me. And at mile 23, I lost consciousness and, um, started vomiting profusely, um, was taken to the hospital, uh, later told that had I not arrived when I did, I would have passed due to kidney failure, um, from rhabdomyolysis. And the 24 to 48 hours after that, um, you know, I would stay in the hospital and, um, It was a very humbling moment to receive a bunch of texts and calls from friends asking me how the race went and me having to relive the experience of telling them that I had failed after all of this hard work that I had, you know, put in to my body and the time and the effort and, um, it really was a humbling experience. Cause at the time I was thinking like, this is such a huge failure. Like I have to go back and I have to face these people who were all expecting me to do so well in this race. And I did not, I, I almost died. Um, and it was really, it was really tough. I didn't, I didn't want to go back to my home group. I didn't want to go back to work. I didn't want to see people in, um, and that lasted for probably a month or two. I would run into people, and they'd be like, "Oh, how'd the race go?" And I'd have to be like, oh, "I, I didn't, I didn't finish it." Um, and that that was tough. Um, but thankfully, with the Phoenix community and my community in AA um, and my higher power, like we got through that, and you know, it it made me a better person. And ultimately, I can look back on it and know that it wasn't a failure. Um, It was a moment in my life that I needed to experience and feel and really just, like, be taken down a notch um, and kind of be told that, like, I'm not always going to be the strong person that I think I am, but I have people in my life that I can rely on when those moments occur. Mm. Yeah, and, and you got a badass story out the deal. <laughs> <laughs> Pictures?
1: To also,
2: boom. like, and at mile 23, we're not talking about, like, oh, you know, I ran for 10 minutes and like went down, like, oh man. T- mile 23, like, you've got, it is amazing what our body, the, the beatings our body can take, you know, like, I'm, I'm oh. sure there was a lot of that that your body was probably like calling out. And also just the fact that even, you know, wh- while you were actively, drinking. There was a time that you could be training for something that, you know, that level of intensity and still doing it. You know what I mean? Like still like getting up and doing it and not at all probably what people would think a rock bottom looks like. You know, may, you might've been experiencing that every single night, you know, but like, that's not what necessarily people would think. And also I feel like that's what often keeps us thinking like, well, it's not really that bad. Cause look, I'm still running, you know what I mean? I'm still doing the things like people are still celebrating me. I have friends and all those things. So Yeah. Sometimes you need those, those knockdowns can be a blessing because every other message we're getting, except for the really like inner knowing that we're able, that we're just shutting up every single day, like is saying that you're fine, fine. It's like not fine.
0: Yeah. And I think I I stress um, to like possible sponsees or even in meetings that I go to that unmanageability looks different for everyone. And, you know, you don't have to have had to like go to prison or get DUIs or like all the common themes or stigmas that people think that, um, alcoholics or addicts go through. They didn't, that wasn't me. You know, I, I was a daily drinker, but I was also like running 10 to 15 miles a day and competing in marathons and showing up for work and like putting food on the table. And like, I was, you know, from the outside and a normal Person, I just drank every day, and I was dead inside. Like, had mm. no feeling inside whatsoever. But definitely put on a face to make sure you didn't know that. Mm.
2: It's a lot of hiding. Mm, mm, mm.
1: So many, so many people heard what you just said and can relate very much. So, uh, I know, I, I know, I can. That feeling of. Well, eventually, it started leaking on the outside for me too. Um, but I think in the beginning, like when I really started to feel like something wasn't right, like I felt like I was the only one who seen it, you know. And it's, it's multiple conversations I've had with my mom. She like I ain't know it was that bad, and it's like it was terrible, you know. I, I think I want to zoom back in on failure, just because it's such a big topic. Uh, I was talking to my daughter. And if we do these things in sequence and release these episodes in sequence, I think it was a previous episode where I talked about our trick-or-treating excursion where she was not having it this year. She's 11 and she was not knocking on anybody's door because she just didn't want to do it this year. And uh, today she came and she said, or yesterday she came, she sat in the office. She was like, dad, you know what the number one, fear is in America. I'm like, no, but I bet you're going to tell me. She's like, failure. And like, I proceeded to like go on this rant because of like all my, uh, experience in recovery, like failure isn't even a real thing. So that's like fear for no reason. Like, what are you afraid of? There's failure. It doesn't even exist. It's in your head. If it starts in your head, it's, it's not even a real thing. And like, I had to pull back, like, oh, like people are scared to try because they're scared to have an experience like collapsing at the 20th mile and not making it to the hundredth mile and, and having to come back and, and tell everybody that I didn't do it. Uh, like I said that I would, but what I've learned like in recovery, like that process is what equips us to cultivate wisdom. If we don't get out here and learn about ourselves through trying and and sometimes hitting a mark and sometimes not hitting a mark and, and you know, retooling to where we can hit the mark. Or maybe we decide the mark ain't even a mark that we was trying to mark in the first place. Like we don't cultivate wisdom. And the fact that you allowed yourself to have that experience, that you came back, you know, and you might have stayed away from people for about a month. But you came back and the people were there to support you in the midst of it. And now you're on a recovery podcast telling a story and it sounds badass. <laughs> and w- what I dap you up for that because it's like, oh, that's you, you in it to win it, like you're really about it. You know, where there's some people that'll talk about it but be afraid to get their feet wet. And that was a bit of a monologue, but I, I think within there is like what would be your suggestion to somebody who is afraid to try because they don't want
0: that experience of failure. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I definitely used to be afraid of trying things for fear of failure. And I think after having that experience, you know, it, it definitely changed my mindset. Um, even so, I actually went back this year to try to run that race again um, because I really, really wanted a finish. I made it double the length this time. And uh, I did not finish. However, I was able to pull myself out of the race before my body pulled myself out of the race. Mm, That's a win. And to me, that is a huge win. I was able to, you know, focus in on and know that my body is shutting down and I need to stop before it's too late. Getting to have that experience and going back, and like, it was completely different from the first time. I was not afraid to tell anyone that I failed. I was m- more happy that I went out and was able to have the guts to do it again and, you know, got double the length and, you know, pulled myself out. And like, that just is like a testament to my own growth and how far I've come. And um, I think anyone out there that is fearing doing something because of failure, I would say that there are so many lessons to be learned in failure and you become such a better more well-rounded person when you do fail and it only makes you stronger for the next time around you know i would not have made it to mile 40 the second time around had i not had that first experience and i definitely would not have come back and been able to be like proud of this failure proud that i did not make it to the finish line but i also didn't make it to a hospital bed (laughs) Um, and so I think anyone out there that is afraid, just, you know, there are positives in everything, and you just have to spin it your way. You know, you have to, you have to pull from the things that ultimately will give you an experience to share with someone else. And that's how I look at it. I, I think that, you know, for me, failure is being able to share that with someone and maybe help them not go through that or, they have gone through that and we can totally have a powwow on our failures together. There's, there's a lot there. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. As, as Liz would say, uh, you gave me goosebumps. (laughs) Yeah. That's, uh, (laughs) that's, that's the context that failure gives like the context that it gave you that allowed for you to have a container for your second try. And it's like, okay, I doubled my miles. That's a win. And I didn't injure myself. That's a win-win. The self-awareness, like the knowledge of your capabilities as well as the boundaries that you can push, like that all came from show, like from, from that an, an original failure, which can we just throw the word failure out of there? Because like, I don't think that failure even exists. Like, I really just like it. The only way we can fail is if we stop. You see what I'm saying? Like, and even then, like, If we stopped and it's in knowledge of like, maybe I need to stop this, (laughs) then that's a win, you know, it's the continuous cultivation of wisdom that I think specifically uh, within the context of this podcast, like recovery, the intentional process of showing up uh, for our lives as they are, like allows us to be able to take on head on.
2: I think it's interesting too, the, the, I don't know if it, projection is the right word to use, but like what we assume that people are expecting of us, you know, like when you're talking about the people at home, not wanting to tell your friends and family that you, you know, hadn't finished and they were expecting you to finish and they were, you know, and, and I, I mean, I can speak as a person who grew up with, with runners and marathon runner, and watch my, my dad, you know, even just recently compete in a couple marathons and like, I want him to succeed because I want him to f- be happy. You know, like my, the, the thing that would break my heart is if I, you know, see him feeling really bad about himself, you know, but like, gosh, if he stopped a race halfway through and was like, yeah, I think, you know, I just wasn't feeling good. It was the right thing to do, but I'm proud of what I did. I'd be like me too. You know, like the people that love us, they just love us. They just want us to be us and be okay. And like, take care of ourselves. And like, my God, like the people that love you, Trev, I'm just thinking they're probably like, Oh, thank God he is, you know, enough himself now and as much loves himself as much as we do to stop before he ends up in that hospital. You know, like, don't you think like for them, it's just like that is all that matters. You being okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah, And that's 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 the response that I received the second time around. And even the first time around those those. Are the responses that I received, but of course, you know, my alcoholic brain creates these unrealistic expectations in my head of what I think people are going to think or say, and also how I want people to perceive me. Like it's very we could very, control very, that,
2: like, <laughs> and, <laughs> yes. right?
0: It's very much an ego thing of like, God, these people are going to think I'm weak or you know, not athletic, and like not the athlete that I say I am. Um So very much you know, internal expectations as well as external and um, feeding feeding into that of like trying to control the narrative around what people think of me is like a battle yeah. that I deal with daily. We're working on it.
2: Yeah, well, what's yeah. that been like in recovery? Like as, you know, I, I know you've talked about having friends within the Phoenix and 12 step in and, and those areas, but like how about the people that were there and the drinking days and like when you, I mean, Stop drinking. Like what's that? What was that like?
0: When I got sober uh here in Denver uh twenty uh let's see, December of twenty twenty-one, I essentially had to like just leave my my social circle. It was not, you know, it wasn't um healthy for me to try to stay involved in my current social circle and kind of created a new a world behind that. I I, I got home from a trip back home. I, I actually One of the reasons that I got sober, I I had to go home and bury a friend who had committed suicide. Definitely, he struggled from substance abuse disorder. And, you know, I kind of had the realization that if I didn't get help, I was going to end up the same way. I was on that path. I was ready to end it all. And so I came back and I Googled Denver AA meetings and, you know... Thinking about it, I was like, you know what, I'm actually I'm not an alcoholic. And I kind of, you know, slammed my computer down and opened it up a few hours later and was on Google again. And what do you know, an ad for the Phoenix popped up. I, you know, reading into it, I'm like, holy shit, like this is like a gym whose only requirement for membership is 48 hours of sobriety. Like, okay, I could do this. So I signed up for a class every day for like the first two months of my sobriety. And like, that's what kept me sober. I found the community. I found my people, I found like-minded individuals who just wanted to do better and stay fit and be social. You know, and ultimately I needed more than just the Phoenix and I found AA and an entirely new social circle of friends both in the Phoenix and both NAA. And those are the people that I surround myself with today, the people who were in my life, you know, during my active addiction. There are a few that stuck around and who did reach out but i would say 97% of those people don't exist in my life anymore i'll see them out and be cordial and hello but we never really had anything in common besides pounding shots at the bar on a friday saturday or tuesday night outside of that you know we just we were just people who drank and used together but like the people at the phoenix and the people in my sober or social circle through aa like those people are my foundation and my rock and Had I not found the Phoenix, I wouldn't have found AA and I wouldn't have gotten sober. And I most likely would not be alive on this podcast right now. Um, And Mm. and it's wild to me because, uh, you know, yesterday I celebrated one year with the Phoenix as an employee. And it is so crazy to me to think that, like, I walked in those doors like a scared little boy, never having done CrossFit before and, you know, being opened to this world. And meeting these people and like finding this community and thinking how amazing this is. And here we are two years later. And like, I have a dream job where I get to work for the Phoenix and like give back and do what people did for me. And I'm just like, I'm still in shock. Like it's, it's crazy to me. It's wild
2: incredible i for the record goosebumps two times during that part of what you're talking about <laughs> if we're keeping if we're keeping track <laughs> um well congratulations i mean just like and and thank goodness for you for you being part of this journey and part of the phoenix and like just for the bravery it takes to just live as your whole self and to talk about it and I'm so glad that you're here I'm so glad
1: yeah, Liz was talking about, too, like, you know, how the to, how to people that love you, you know, sh- show up and don't care about how things turn out. They care about you. And I think, Trev, it'd be weird to tell you I love you, but I like you. And I want to tell you before this episode goes off, please call somebody before you go climb a mountain by yourself <laughs> again. If you want to take my number, you can take my number. Just let somebody know where you at. <laughs> we got your back. I can do that. But, but we, um, we appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, I think this has contributed something to the space that hasn't been contributed before in the conversation of uh, really dealing with extremism. Uh, I think it's something that is there, There's a seed. I can't say in all of us, but there's definitely a seed in me uh, uh, that that came from my active addiction. Of like really just wanting to go hard. And it's and it serves us too. Like it's so many tools that were present, but I just didn't know how to use them. It's like the knife was there, but it wasn't sharpened. And I think the process of recovery allows for me to sharpen it and use it for good. And so, you know, we appreciate you coming and sharing your experience with learning how to use your superpower of extremism, jumping out of planes, running a hundred miles. Uh, and all the other cool stuff you do uh, for, for, for the good of you and for your community.
0: Well, thank you for having me. It's been quite the journey. And I just love being able to to share these experiences. I think for me, when I when I first got sober, like being able to hear other people that I just like related to really helped. And, you know, with that extremism, like I'm all in for sobriety. Like there's no going back. Like th- this doesn't even make sense to go back. And, you know, relapse can be a part of your story, but it's not going to be a part of mine. I am so all in on this that like it it's it's crazy. Like the, the gifts of sobriety just really do keep on giving like the best is yet to come. Yeah. Yeah. Mm.
1: Mm -mm. Such a true statement. Such a true statement. And also to be all in and a part of like really cementing sobriety recovery is the community making it a lifestyle. And so we thank each and every one of you for showing up for yourself and listening to this podcast episode, because if you're listening to this podcast, what you're doing is you're making intentional living, recovery, sobriety, a lifestyle. And so we salute you. We thank you for listening uh, and we challenge you to, when you turn this episode off, to share it with somebody so they have the opportunity to make it a lifestyle for themselves. We also challenge you to maybe see where else you can show up in your life and create this lifestyle that you, that you don't want to leave.
2: Heck yeah. Yeah. So thank you for being here, Trevor, You're amazing. We're so grateful for you. Grateful for everyone listening.
1: And we will see you next time. Thank you. So now you're excited. Bryce, Liz, how do I get involved with the Phoenix? Well, my friend, it is super simple. We actually have an app. Head over to the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store or look in the show notes of this podcast wherever you're listening to or watching this podcast and go download the Phoenix app.
2: The Phoenix app makes it so easy to find classes that are near you or to access our virtual class schedule where you can hop on from the comfort of your home. You can also join our groups and have a conversation with someone from the Phoenix community from anywhere in the world. Please make sure that you join the podcast group where you can connect with Bryce and I and other listeners everything that you need is in the show notes you can also head to our website at www.thephoenix.org and maybe while you're there you click the volunteer tab and get even more involved